Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today we're going to talk with USCfootball.com beat writer and columnist Dan Weber about the USC Trojans making it to the Rose Bowl, answer a bunch of your questions about the team going forward. If you have any questions for us, email podcast at uscfootball.com. You give us a call to 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or just go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. You can click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail right from your computer or device. Hope you can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, it's a great way to get uh, consume the show, itunes.com slash podcast. If you go on there, please leave us some positive feedback. A five-star rating would be wonderful. And we're available on Stitcher and Audio Boom and TuneIn Radio and lots of different places you can get uh, your podcast. So, Subscribe, let us know if you like it, email us, all that stuff. We love to hear from you. We like to make this an interactive show. And uh, Dan Weber loves to answer questions, and then we're going to have him do that today. What is up, Dan? How you doing? Hey, uh, doing good. Looking forward to the next uh, few weeks here. It's, uh, you forget how how long ago it really was that you got into this kind of the Rose Bowl routine because we had gotten into such a Rose Bowl routine that you almost didn't have to think, you know, twice about it. And now we're thinking back and saying, okay, let's see. And I remember we did this and the Disneyland thing, and this is how they practice, and this is where the press conferences were. And it's kind of kind of nice to be able to go back over that uh, old familiar ground that just seems to have gone away for a while, and, and now it's back. It's back. And, you know, the last time USC was in the Rose Bowl was the, you know, 2008 season, 2009 Rose Bowl. And, uh, Dan, I, you know, you weren't with uscfootball.com at the time. Um, we were at, uh, we were talking about this. Stuart Mandel from Fox was tweeting me and we were talking about this. We were all hanging out on the, the ESPN, uh, sports zone or whatever it's called downtown. That's where they had the media party and something happened. And, uh, I don't know if it was the food or what, but most everybody in the media that went to that party got sick. I was lucky and I did not. Um, but my wife, Jana, was helping me out like she was going to do video stuff. She was throwing up violently ill. Dan Wykey was our beat writer at the time. He got violently ill, couldn't go. So, like, I became, like, the beat writer. I did everything that game for the site because I was, like, the only wow. one left. And, like, but there were so many people that were sick at that one. I don't know if you covered that one, Dan, but it was uh, it was crazy. Oh, yeah. No, I covered that for, uh, for Riverside Press Enterprise. And, and I do remember thinking about going to that the media party and then deciding, no, nah, I got too much to do. <laughs> Good so choice. I passed on the, I passed on the party. I do remember people were checking in, uh, for the game and talking about how sick everybody was. So, uh, yeah, I, I got lucky. Yeah. I mean, I, I was like, when I was at the part, I mean, at the, the press box, I mean, the people that the most, half the people didn't show up from the media and the other half that were there, most of them were like, running to the bathroom a lot. I mean, it was terrible. Yeah. This, maybe this is too graphic for the, the podcast, right. but it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. And it got to the point where I was like, 
am I sick? Like it was mentally, like I thought I was sick too, even though I wasn't luckily, um, just cause you saw it around there. But man, it was absolutely, uh, an insane thing. They're doing a media party at, at like some art district downtown this year. So, uh, we'll not be at the ESPN zone, uh, which was fun. It was fun playing all those games and stuff, but, uh, mm-hmm. not that everyone got sick. That was bad. No, I, my, uh, my best memories are the first Rose Bowl I covered, uh, USC Northwestern. And I was in Chicago at the time. And just that was my first year and got, got with that Northwestern team. It was like their 47 years they'd missed in the Rose Bowl. And, uh, so I get, I covered USC a few other times in different places at South Bend and at the kickoff classic and what have you. It was my first chance to see USC, the Rose Bowl. And, the greatest thing, really uh, wonderful thing, is I was in the third row of the press box, and directly behind me, on a on a on a stool, was uh, famous Northwestern alum Charlton Heston, and he turned out to be like the sweetest guy. And it was, you know, he'd ask you this or that, what what's going on here. It could not have been more, you know, quiet, gentlemanly, just politest person you could ever imagine but it, but that was cool i'm trying to think and after the texas game i was running late to get back to the press box and didn't notice there were a group of guys <laughs> on the ground and ringing in you know kind of running and not looking and uh crossing the field and run into uh into the back and turn and as he turns around, it's Lance Armstrong, and he's standing there. The reason he was standing there, he was laughing at Matthew McConaughey, who had fallen over drunk on the ground, <laughs> and he he couldn't get up. And I'm thinking, this is like this is you know you talk about Hollywood or you know why, why the Rose Bowl is different. Uh, maybe Matthew McConaughey wasn't drunk. He maybe was acting drunk. Let's say that. He, <laughs> they were having a wonderful time, you know, both of them from Texas, uh, after that game, but they wouldn't leave the field. I mean, they were just having too good a time. But to me, that's kind of the Rose Bowl is, is little, uh, incidents like that. So much, uh, so many good memories for USC fans, but it's been a while. So, um, you know, I, I obviously it's a, a great, uh, accomplishment to be able to win eight in a row. And it kind of, you know, I talked to coach Harvey Hyde about it yesterday on the podcast. And, uh, you know, I think we all kind of talked about it like just a few weeks ago, like it looks like USC could make the Rose bowl. It just seems like best case scenario, you know, you don't have to play Washington again, which is kind of a no win situation. You already beat them once on the road. Um, but you know, you kind of back, like not back in, but you make the Rose bowl because You'll be the second highest ranked team in the conference. And you thought, maybe thought Colorado would lose a game between now and then, but they, you know, they end up not doing that and getting beat pretty badly by Washington kind of set it up. Um, I'm curious to see if it would have been a close game between Colorado and Washington. If, you know, Colorado stays yeah. nine and USC goes 10, but it kind of, it just kind of, you know, it happened to, to fall. The dominoes kind of fell the way we thought they would, Dan. Yeah. And, and, even if USC, let's say Utah beats Colorado, USC gets into the game after watching those two play again, uh, you think as long as USC shows up, 
they're just better than Washington. I mean, they really are. Uh, and, uh, but the downside of that would have been, let's say, let's say they beat Washington. USC goes to the Rose Bowl. You know, that's all that would have happened and Washington wouldn't have been in the playoffs. So that's kind of more of a downside, you know, and it's hard to say sometimes to do something that's good for the Pac-12, but it's probably better overall. Certainly financially, it's better. And I think it's not a case of, oh, Washington's got a leg up on USC. Not really. Not when you played the head-to-head game in Seattle and USC was clearly the better team. So, uh, so I think I'm not sure it could have worked out any better for USC than the way it did. I mean, and, you know, I mean, obviously if the, you know, flipped and you know, flip-flopped the USC and Colorado, then, you, you know, uh, then you would have had people second guessing like crazy, but, but the uh, committee got to the right decision, and I think they tried pretty hard. I think they probably kept Wisconsin higher than, than they should, and, and, and the Oklahoma thing just totally befuddles me. You know, you got two Heisman finalists, and they're, and, and they're not, there's not anybody in the world that thinks they'd beat USC if they were, you know, if they, if they got matched up. But, uh, but, and, and of course, you know, Penn State's fifth, and USC's ninth, and USC's a seven-point favorite, which tells you again what the what the rankings actually mean uh, in the head-to-heads. And you know, USC would—I I would think clearly USC would be favored over everybody through Penn State and Washington if they played again. So that would get USC favored over everybody up to number four. What would happen with number two and three? I'm not sure. I, I'd be interested in that USC Clemson game where the line would come down. And, uh, the Ohio State game would be real interesting. You know, if you can't throw the ball, it's going to be hard to beat USC, I would think, if they show up and, you know, score some points. Uh, so, uh, that leaves Alabama. <laughs> Other than Alabama, you would probably not hesitate to put USC on the field with any of those other teams right now. Yeah, I think the Vegas, um, like the Vegas rankings, I think USC's three behind Alabama and Ohio State. So essentially, Las Vegas thinks that USC would be a favorite against, against everybody except Alabama and Ohio State right now. And, and then when you look at Ohio State, and they, they can't throw the ball. I mean, it's just, I don't know how you would beat USC if you can't throw the ball. I mean, if you've already, Clancy's basic defensive, you know, scheme is, take one thing away from them, you know, take something away from them. Well, you play Ohio State, that's already gone. So, I mean, if Michigan, for example, doesn't give Ohio State two touchdowns, they don't score, you know. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, and I saw that, that I think uh, Ohio State was one one point above USC, uh, that two and three. But uh, when push came to shove, that would be an interesting line uh, to see how it, how it got bet if there was an actual game. Well, let's, um, let's get to some questions, Dan. We have, so one of the topics, and I've seen this on Twitter and get a bunch of emails is about, um, Max Brown. And just so if people don't know, and I'll, I'll read you Steve's question in a second, but, um, you know, Max Brown, uh, is not going to be practicing with the team heading into the bowl game. So he's working on his, uh, you know, MBA at USC. He wants to finish that, but he's going to be a graduate transfer somewhere else and work on some other kind of, you know, take some other grad classes 
at whatever school he plays for one year, and then he wants to come back and finish up his MBA. But he made the decision that he wasn't going to, uh, you know, he, he put out a great, like, kind of farewell post on Instagram. And, uh, I messaged with him a little bit just to clarify. I'm like, Hey, you're not going to practice with the team, right? He's like, yeah, I'm not. So, so just people know, I, I, I thought people understood this, but I guess not. Um, he's not going to be practicing with the team. And then Steve wrote, uh, Danny said, why is Max Brown leaving before USC's bowl game? And does this mean the Trojans are one rolled ankle, tweaked knee, et cetera, away from having a huge drop off in experience slash ability? at the very important quarterback position. And will this affect the preparation and game plan for the bowl game? Would they burn Mac, Matt Fink's entire redshirt season just for the bowl game? And he said, follow up, I know he's a great guy and all, but this is in uh, some way a parting shot by Max Brown to leave three weeks early, thereby uh, leaving his former team and coaches in a very precarious situation at quarterback. It seems inconsistent with everything else we've heard about him. Thanks, Stephen Poway. No, Steve, I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. I, I think, uh, I don't think originally when I, I remember talking to Max, the first chance we really got to talk to him about it, and it was pretty obvious that he hadn't thought out all of the things that were going to have to happen to arrange for him to go somewhere else and transfer and, and be able to, you know, be there for spring semester and, you know, find the exact right place and, I remember walking through some things, scenarios like, well, would you consider UCLA knowing that, uh, oh, there might be a, a situation, you know, with, uh, Rose and, and his shoulder and being able to come back. And he thought, oh, huh. And, you know, thought about that exactly. And who knows, you know, what's going to happen. You know, just say, take a Notre Dame. You know, they're going to lose, I guess, both of their quarterbacks, it looks like. Where does that leave them? Uh, but there's an all kinds of stuff that has to happen. And I think it just hit, he's got five visits. And I think it hit him. I think originally he thought he was going to be able to do a lot of this by, uh, you know, phone calls and emails and what have you. And I think it was kind of hinting to him that he's probably going to have to go visit all those places that he really wants to consider. Because you're talking about schools, you know, from the Southeastern Conference to who knows where that he doesn't have any connections to, and you need to test how much do they really want me uh, and how good a situation is going to be. For example, last year, uh, Cal quarterback Davis Webb, the graduate transfer, was within a week. He was coming from Texas Tech. He was within a week of going to Colorado. For the entire you know, previous couple of months through the summer, he was headed to Colorado because they didn't think Lefau was going to be uh, healthy. Had he gone there and he didn't flip till the very last week, he flipped the cow. Had he gone to Colorado and Lefau turns out to be as healthy as he was uh, until you know the season got going anyway, Davis Webb might not have gotten a chance to play. So he made the exact right decision to go to Cal. Cal was the place for him. Well, Max has to do that same thing. The problem is Max doesn't have over the summer. Max wants to be there for the second semester. And those things start at different times in January. But for him to be the the quarterback in residence in the spring, he needs to be there for the winter workouts and all that kind of thing. 
and and there just wouldn't be any time left if he went through the three weeks of practice, finishes up his third semester under the MBA program. There's no time left. I mean, he wouldn't. He'd be just taking a flyer blind, maybe uh, at at where he's going to end up. Uh, you know, for uh, he's got one shot at it at this point. He has to go to the right place. So I just think. He just he had to do that. I, I don't think he had any other choice, and I don't think it's anything taking a shot at USC or anything else. Uh, uh, and I think the way he's handled everything, he has the absolute right to uh, to do it this way and to make that call. And yeah, it it puts USC in a you know a little bit of of jeopardy, but you know that's just that's the way things work out. You can't always say you have to give up everything for the program where you're not the starter and you're not going to get to play very much. And uh, if something happens to, uh, you know, Sam during practice, something happens early in the game, uh, you can bet your bottom dollar, Matt thinks uh, red shirt's coming off. Uh, and that's just the way it's going to be. If it's a, it's a situation where it's in a part of the game where Jalen Green maybe could come in and, 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 and you know, run the wildcat and do some things like that. And, you know, it's the second half and you got a lead. Uh, and that might happen. But, uh, uh, I just don't think it's fair to in any way, uh, put any kind of negative, uh, you know, motive or negative, you know, uh, you know, feeling, have any negative feelings about Max Brown. I just think he's got no other choice. This is a hard, hard hard decision uh that he's got to make he's got one shot to get it right and uh you know we gotta you know wish that he is able to take enough time and, and get it done properly and and that means he's going to have to visit places sit down get a real feel for him uh see you know what's the right thing to do so we wish him well and, and it's one of those cases where usc is a, a little bit in jeopardy and uh that's just how things are yeah and i think that's you know that was usc's call from the beginning um you know if, if usc i didn't like the way it went down you know even though sam darnold's the guy i didn't really like how that all went down in the beginning of the season but you know that's and that's kind of like you know that's it i mean that, what are you going to do you can't fault max brown for leaving i mean he's got to do what's right for him um you know he lost his job he put four years into the program and really didn't get anything out of it. So, uh, you got to do what's right for him. And I, you know, you kind of talked about this a little bit. Rex wanted to know, he said, I was wondering where do you think Max Brown might wind up? I know he's not mobile, but being in the South, LSU and Florida are in dire need of a good quarterback. Just wondering what you and Dan might think. And he says, happy holidays to you, coach. Hi, Dan Keeley, shotgun and Gerard. You guys have made it an outstanding year for us on the East Coast. Thanks for that, Rex, and uh, we'll we'll get your thoughts, Dan. Yeah, Rex. Uh, and uh, and this is where it's, it's kind of difficult. For example, let's say you take LSU, uh, and you mentioned LSU in Florida, which I thought was interesting that when they played one another, they both were starting transfers from Purdue. And I'm thinking, gosh, you got each of those programs has a quarterback who's transferring from God awful, you know, poor Purdue, uh, which tells you something about the quarterbacks in the South. I mean, it's just amazing that with all the, you know, the effort and time and, you know, how much emphasis there are, is on football and the high schools in the, in the South that, you know, that they just don't seem to be able to find any quarterbacks and coach them up. And 
And but let's say you're looking at LSU and you think, well, they don't have a, an offensive coordinator yet, and they're clearly moving toward the spread. You know what they did with Les Miles, they're not going to be doing. So, you know, is what they're going to be doing? I mean, how do you make a decision if you're Max, let's say, and you're looking at LSU? You don't even know who their offensive coordinator is going to be. Uh, that's how complicated that uh, a decision is. I mean, I did hear Florida's name. You know, I've heard that you know bandied about uh, as a possibility. You know, uh, I, you know, I mean, I could see. Uh, I mean, we've heard things about you know Josh Rosen and his shoulder, and you got surgery involved, and whether he wants to you know, keep playing and all that kind of thing. But, you know, again, is that someplace, you know, you know, Marcus Tuiasasopa, they don't have an offensive coordinator either. Uh, you know, is Marcus in that mix? And, you know, would you make that call based on you don't know how the surgery is going to turn out for Josh Rosen? And they may really need a quarterback, but they may not. I mean, that just points out, it's really complicated if you're trying to find what's that one place that really needs me. I'll get a chance to do what I do, uh, and I get a chance to show people what I can do, and it'll fit into my, you know, skill set where I can be successful. And, uh, you know, I mean, I can come up with a lot of places you could say, you know, that would be an interesting place, or, or that would be, you know, do you go to a place like a, you know, a San Diego State or a Fresno? or Hawaii, where you could go and throw the ball, throw the heck out of the ball in, in some ways, or some places of those uh, there. I, 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 you know, I don't know. Do you go to Washington State? What happens with Luke Falk? You know, uh, there's just so many possibilities, and yet, does it really make sense? And there's a lot of, there are a lot of questions, and there aren't a lot of answers. So, I just think he's going to have to decide on on who really recruits the heck out of him and who makes the case that he is their guy and who does he trust and who does he believe. And that's one of those things where that's going to be up to Mac. It's, it's going to be really hard for us on the outside to figure that out. But I just, I think there are a lot of, you know, possibilities, but uh, how that plays out, I, I just think we, we can't possibly know right now, and probably Max can't either. All right. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see with Max where he ends up. Don't really know. I think he's got some choices, and like Dan said, it's a hard choice. He's got to make what the the best ones for him. Um. So there's talk about the backup quarterback, Dan, but there's also talk about like kind of a staff shakeup or any changes on the staff. Ted Manhattan Beach said, "Do we need to be concerned?" about losing John Baxter and support uh, recruiting staff, like the recruiting assistants. Um, and does Coach Clay Helton have a strategy to build this group out? He's talking about, like, the uh, support staff. As always, appreciate the responses. Fight on, Ted, in Manhattan Beach. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I think there's a lot on the coaches, and I think they made the right call at the time to say, look, what's going to determine our success in recruiting is what kind of success do we have on the field? And we've got to get the, you know, everything straightened out. You know, we got to get the ship righted and all that. And then we'll see what happens and that'll take care of itself. So I think they got that part right. Uh, 
They, they you know, they finished up the season. I think they don't. I think they're understaffed uh, in terms of recruiting. Uh, I think if I look at the the coaching staff, they have a, a number of guys who would rather coach and, and are not necessarily the biggest recruiters in the world. Uh, and I think you see more and more schools where they basically have kind of a separate recruiting staff. Now, I mean, like a really separate recruiting staff. You know, like at Alabama, they've got separate staffs for everything. They're all kind of football coaches. Uh, the recruiting guys can't go on the road and all that. But uh, um, I think because of the nature of the USC staff in terms of their how much they, they like recruiting, or if you take a look at T. Martin as the offensive coordinator, he probably can't quite have the same amount of time and effort uh, as a recruiting guy, as a top recruiting guy, as he did when all he was doing, you know, was, and I say all he was doing was coaching the wide receivers. He's got a different set of responsibilities at, you know, at this point in time. So I think Clay should be in a position now to be able to, you know, go in and say, look, here's what we need to do. And, you know, look at what, you know, I was a little displeased that, for example, Tom Herman had a bigger recruiting staff at Houston than, than USC does. And that's not, Houston should not, I mean, they're basically recruiting kids from Houston. And they shouldn't have more people in that staff than USC has. Or, or, or Dabo Swinney at, you know, Clemson shouldn't have a, sta- uh, you know, like 17 assistants doing nothing but mailing stuff out and, you know, millions of pieces of, of mail and all of that kind of thing. Uh, USC needs to get more into the, that ball game with those people and, you know, get the right people on campus. You know, you get them on campus, USC recruits itself in a lot of ways. And, and the, the program, and if you have the kind of success that they're starting to have. But uh, but you'd like to see Clay really take hold of that and say, we need to make this something really, really, really strong, and we need to figure out a way, you know, to do it with the personnel we've got and the way we could expand the staff. As far as losing uh, and I know, uh, you know, the Baxter thing, I really don't get. I mean, he spent a year at Michigan and, and couldn't get back to California fast enough. So I, I, I don't, I don't see that. I mean, I think he would like to be a head coach, obviously. Uh, but, uh, you know, and if that comes along, you know, the guy's gonna take it. But I don't see that happening this year. And, uh, I would think, if I'm a USC assistant coach looking at next year and thinking, you know, what the possibilities are for next year, you wouldn't think too many of them would want to move on this year. I would think next year really gives these guys a chance to enhance their resume and, uh, and have one of those years that, that, that doesn't come along that often. And that's what you work for. So, I think, you know, with the on-field staff, I think they're in fairly good shape. Uh, the recruiting staff, I'd like to see them take some big steps forward. The uh, And just to let people know, Scott Thompson, who's been uh, one of those, uh, you know, helpers, assistants, uh, who was, he was director of player personnel. Then he started moving into more of the coaching side, like as an offensive analyst he took a job as the tight ends coach at fresno state with jeff tedford there so he played tight end at fresno state 
back in the day. He's been around since 2010 and a really cool guy. We're going to hate to see him go, but he, he's definitely switched his gears or he wanted to get into the coaching side and now he's got the opportunity. Yeah. And that's great. And, and, you know, he always had a, you know, a, he was a Fresno guy and he always, uh, and, and he just clearly wanted to be on the field coaching and you, you know, you can't blame him. So that's a good deal. Good deal for him. So let's, uh, Frank in Sacramento wrote in, Dan. I thought this was funny. He said, Reggie Bush should lead USC out of the tunnel in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl as a big middle finger to the NCAA. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I see part of that and I, I, I'm, I, I, I would have to see Reggie probably make a little more obvious, uh, you know, apology uh to the usc community I, I just think i just think a little more mending of fences is required you know by reggie i mean and i hate the nc what they did and the idea of that reggie's like the only player in the country that you know has to be banned from his college and his campus and and you know his jersey and all that kind of and that's just ridiculous i mean it's just it's the kind of mean-spirited pettiness that the NCAA is famous, you know, famous for. And so any way to get back at them, I'm, I'm for it. But, uh, but I think there's, there, I think Reggie would need to, you know, walk a few more miles in terms of, of, of making things up to USC at, at this point before, before that could happen. Although, you know, you wish it could. I'm just not sure we're there yet. We have uh, one from Earl. Uh, he said, uh, I know we're all ecstatic and thrilled beyond belief to be back in the Rose Bowl. At the end of September, we thought the season was over and Clay Helton should not be retained after the season ended. My how the world has changed. Helton has done a masterful job of turning the program around since September you can't give all the credit to Sam Darnold as one player who does not make a team, and Sam's fumble uh, helped lose one of those September games. So what exactly did Clay Helton do to turn the program around? Happy holidays and fight on. Earl in West L.A. And he says, P.S., wish me luck to win the Rose Bowl ticket lottery. Yeah, good luck, Earl. We, we do hope to get there. That'd be great. Uh, what he did was he... Uh, he had a clear vision, and, and I don't know that we all agreed with it. I, I, I hadn't quite gone down the path of, you know, he, he's not going to have enough time to get there. And it, it's almost asking too much, too much on-the-job, you know, training and learning and what have you. And he was convinced that, you know, for example, what they saw in the uh, Utah game was going to work and that they just had to stay after it and stay after it, and they did. And he did, and he changed some things. I mean, they became more serious at practice and he got rid of the music and, you know, this wasn't about, you know, all that kind of stuff. This was about doing things right and about being serious. Um, and he had a group of seniors and team leaders that, that went along with him. And, and you can see what happens when that doesn't happen. You know, you can take a look at UCLA and, and Notre Dame. UCLA picked by a lot of people to win the Pac-12. Uh, Notre Dame starting out as a top 10 team and their guys bailed on, on the coaches pretty much. And, 
these guys didn't bail on, on Clay and his coaching staff, and they stayed after it, and they just kept, you know, and they obviously got it right with, with Sam, but uh, uh, they got it right. You know, for example, I think Clay had a, one of those heart-to-heart talks with Clancy after the Utah game and said, look, I know how you, you look at things, but we can't beat some of these teams if we're only going to play, you know, 12, 13, 14 guys on defense, you know, there are going to be times when we need to have more people ready to play. And I think that was, a, uh, you know, a clay, uh, you know, moment where he saw things clearly. And I think, you know, you have to bring more people on. But uh, I just think, you know, things just started working better, you know, with the uh, offensive concepts. And obviously Sam made, made those you know, much more clear in people's minds as to how T was going to, you know, call the game and, and Tyson Helton and, and uh, Clancy on defense. And, and they just seemed to, you know, figure things out. And they became, you know, that seriousness on the practice field in terms of, uh, uh, you know, what we have to do, how they taught it. I thought the, they did a great job with the way they, uh, use the scout team and the way they break things down in the, you know, at the three levels, uh, uh, the front line, the, the linebackers and the secondary, they break it down and they really teach it and the kids seem to pay great attention. And the, when you see that, that means the kids have decided this is important. This will make me better. This will make us better. So he, I, Clay did all the things a good coach does and, uh, uh, you know, great credit you know, to him, uh, for, for being the guy that these guys, you know, could rally around and that they would trust and believe. And, and they did. And he, uh, I think he deserved, and my, my biggest question in the September was, does he have enough time? This has to get turned around. He has to learn from all these tough lessons that have come his way. And, and the question you had was, uh, does he have enough time? Because he's not going to get enough time. He's not going to get a lot of time. Uh, he did not have the luxury of a couple of, you know, he he wasn't going to have Mike McIntyre's four years at Colorado to get it turned around. He was going to have, you know, four weeks, and he did. And that was a little surprising that he got it turned around the way he did. The schedule broke in his favor, no question about that. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, I, there are a lot of ways you can say Clay got it right. And I'm not sure if Clay knew, but he, he clearly had in his mind an idea of how it should work. And, uh, it worked out. We got one from our buddy Dan, Dan. He said, uh, I really enjoy the variety of perspectives from all of the commentators on the podcast. What a season. Uh, this season was somewhat reminiscent of the 1976 season, John Robinson's first year, when he had a terrible night game against Missouri, and John Robinson was being compared to John McKay. Then USC uh, undefeated went undefeated the rest of the year and won the Rose Bowl. Outside of the playoff games, the Rose Bowl will be the best bowl game. Can any of the commentators give us an idea, so he's talking about you, uh, of how USC will practice for this game? By the way, I watched Jack Sears, quarterback from San Clemente, uh, in the CIF championship, and he was fantastic. Another Sam Darnold 
but faster. Fight on, Dan, uh, USC class of 1962. Yeah, I might not be able to, you know, help you as much on that, on, on the John McKay reference. I will say this, uh, Jack Sears looks like one of the few guys I can ever remember that you could recruit as either a quarterback or a wide receiver. I mean, I, I, I don't know that I've ever seen somebody that, that looks quite like that. I mean, that one touchdown he ran last week where he ended up sprinting, what was it, like 50, 60, 70 yards past the end zone to, for him just to slow down. Uh, he's, uh, he's surprising. I mean, maybe he's one of these all-American, you know, you know, Jack Armstrong types or whatever who could throw the pass and then go catch it. Uh, with his speed. I mean, he's, uh, he's a special athlete. He's not exactly like, uh, you know, like, uh, like Sam, but kind of cut off, cut out of that same cloth, but just with different, a uh, different makeup. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's special. Uh, and, and yeah, I think this, this, you'll be able to go back and, and for this year, and, and this year will kind of be in its own place where you'll say, you know, well, I remember this, you know, this team that did this and then this team that did that. And I think this, you know, this team will be one of those teams that you'll say, uh, and it's still to be determined what you really think of that because they've got one really big game to play and it'll be, uh, uh, you know, I think they're still in playoff mode. You know, they've got, you know, they've been playing since Utah. Uh, one and out. It's still one and out in terms of how we're going to look at this team. Uh, how they do against Penn State in the Rose Bowl is really going to matter. And so I think we'll be able to look at them at that point and then say where they fit in. But, you know, they're, they got a heck of a start. We got a couple more. Lamar from the desert says, Hello, Ryan. Looking at all the drama and the final selections by the college football playoff committee, it looks like having a tough non-conference schedule worked against some programs. A hypothetical example, if USC doesn't schedule Alabama, has two losses at season and in the Pac-12 title win, they would have made the playoffs. Uh, 2017, the Trojans play Texas and have an open date to schedule another non-conference opponent. I'd like to see teams rewarded for tough scheduling, but a blueprint has been set for a week non-conference scheduling that uh, brings a way to make it into the playoffs. What are your thoughts? And um, I'll give you mine real quick. I, I definitely don't agree with that, Lamar. I think be- Ohio State was in over Penn State because they beat the crap out of Oklahoma on the road. If they don't schedule that game, I don't know if they're in. And it's it's not – I don't think it's just, oh, just schedule week and you'll get in. Um, I think you schedule week and you don't win your conference – uh, you probably won't. So I think there's, there's definitely benefits to scheduling strong out of conference uh, opponents, but you're a team like Oklahoma. You schedule two good ones in Houston and Ohio State and you lose them both. So yeah, you're not getting in in that case. You got to win your games. If they won, if they beat Houston, Oklahoma might be in over Washington. Um, cause they at least played better out of conference teams than Washington did. And they're, you know, they only lost the one game. So that's my thoughts, but Dan, get yours too. No, I think you're absolutely right. But the thing about that is you don't just get, you know, uh, it's not like a participation trophy because you schedule them. You got to schedule them. You know, if you're Oklahoma, they didn't get downgraded for that. So, you know, they got credit. I mean, they, you know, they, they're probably higher ranked than I would have 
I would have ranked them after losing the way they did, Ohio State at home and Houston. Uh, but uh, uh, so I, I don't know that, you know, when you look at um, uh, Penn State, they got beat by, uh, by Pitt. Uh, they didn't have to play Pitt. I mean, that, they've sort of avoided playing one another for a while. Uh, but the other thing about playing somebody, for example, let's say USC, you know, sets up a gimme instead of Alabama. Uh, they probably wouldn't have had Sam Darnold for the Utah game. So where is USC if they're not forced to make that decision about Sam Darnold, you know? I mean, so, uh, and maybe had USC not played Alabama, they don't beat Washington. Having played Alabama, you can go into Seattle and say, look, we're really not intimidated by the Huskies. You know, we've already played Alabama. And that seemed to factor in, if I would have had to say, they, they totally were not intimidated by that situation, that crowd, and, and that opponent. So, I mean, I think there are ways in which, you know, playing a good schedule, uh, they'll use it against you if they want to use it against you. I mean, that's the thing about, about the committee and all of that. They kind of know who they like and, and why they like them. And then the rationale will kind of work its way around about, you know, uh, about schedule or not schedule. And then it didn't hurt Washington because I think they basically decided Washington was good enough. They had a, they were well coached enough. They had enough real game breakers. Uh, they did enough things really well on both offense and defense. And, uh, so they didn't, you know, hold it against them, uh, that non-conference schedule. And I think, I, I, I wouldn't make too much about the whole schedule thing. I think you got to schedule for what's the best thing for you. I think it was a good thing that USC scheduled Alabama in a whole lot of ways. And, uh, you know, they, they were ready for about, you know, 17, what was it, 22 minutes of, of that game. And then they weren't. And they learned a lot about themselves and, uh, you know, what it takes to, to play at that level. And I think that, that was a good thing. And, uh, so uh, I'm all for, you know, the, that kind of scheduling, and I'm glad they're playing Texas right away next year and whatever's going to be left of Western Michigan. And uh, they better be ready to start, you know, the season. And uh, if they end up with Stanford in that third game, uh, that'll be interesting. Is that, that good, bad, or different? I don't know. But uh, I just think, you know, I think you can make it work for you if you will make it work for you. All right, we got a couple more, Dan. Tarek said, who is more likely to take over at will next year, John Houston or Jordan Iosefa? I prefer Houston due to the coverage ability. That's Tarek. I wouldn't downgrade Jordan's uh, coverage ability. I mean, uh, they can both run. And they're, they're kind of cut out of the same you know, mold a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure that, uh, uh, John will ever be quite as, as big as, uh, as Jordan or carry quite as much weight, but, uh, but that'll be fun to watch, uh, how, how that all breaks down. But those two can both do a lot of things. And, uh, having had a year in the system, uh, that'll be, because, and it's great that Clancy can figure out how to use guys like that, because there aren't a lot of teams that have linebackers that look look like those guys do. I mean, uh, they look like big wide receivers, 
more than almost anything. I mean, they look like Daquan Hampton. Uh, not as tall quite, but, uh, same kind of athletic, athleticism and size. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the final, you know, figure, you know, fig, how you figure that out and, and go with those two. But, but I don't think, I don't think we know enough about, you know, this guy or that guy in terms of, uh, uh, coverage ability. I think that, that's still kind of to be determined a, a little bit. We have uh, one last kind of topic. Uh, Nick in Cyprus says, question for Dan, can we get an update on the Steve McNair case? Fight on level you guys do. So I think he means Todd McNair. Oh, Scott, not, Todd McNair. Okay. Steve. Not, yeah, and, uh, poor Steve McNair. Yeah. And Tarion wrote uh, in too. He said, uh, Dan, with regard to the McNair lawsuit, are you confident that after the appeals court decides if the current judge should stay on the case, that depositions and basic discovery will begin early next year. And if the case is assigned to another judge, will this result in a long delay? Rose Bowling, fight on. And that's from Tarion. Yeah, Tarion, that's the worry, I think, is that to get another judge up to speed. So I think they've got until the end of the year to uh, come down with an appeals court decision whether Judge Schaller stays on the case or not. One would hope the appeals court says, look, you know, he needs to stay on this case because you're, you're going to need somebody to ride herd over, you know, depositions and discovery. Cause I think the NCA is going to fight like crazy with the new, uh, attorney, the uh, new law firm that they've got who, you know, handled the, uh, 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 uh staffers for Hillary Clinton in their depositions and, and and they became very contentious and you know the emails case and all that so i'd much prefer that judge Schaller is able to stay on the case and that they get running right after the first of the year in terms of depositions and discovery and uh you know wouldn't be surprised that's you know eight nine months of of work I and mean, it's going to be a battle uh but uh, but that's kind of where it is, and we're just sitting here waiting and seeing what the uh, and you know we've been told for you know well over a month that that could happen any time, but that it does have to uh, you know uh, happen by the end of the year. We understand. So uh, by the first of next year, we'll be going on that case, uh, and I do think it would take a little more doing. If you put a new judge on the case, and would that slow down the uh, the discovery of the depositions? I would think so. Yeah. Uh, so let's just uh, hope. Uh, cross your fingers and hope that uh, Judge Schaller stays on the case. All right, Dan. Good stuff. We're uh, waiting the schedule for the USC football practice, um, but we kind of have a you know sort of an off week to kind of digest everything that happened during the regular season, and then. I guess next week will be a lot more bowl prep and stuff. But thanks for coming on and uh, talking about some USC football. It's always fun. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, it is a, a little bit of a breather here. And uh, and then it's going to be three great weeks of, of building up to – and I like, the, I like the opponent. I like Penn State. They're scrappy as heck. Frank James Franklin's done a great job. You know, they've got uh, – you've got some real talent. They got – they're not a – you know, they their second half play is unbelievable. Uh, their fans sold out. They sold out their Rose Bowl allotment uh, in a day yesterday. So, uh, you know, they couldn't be more fired up. So uh, I think it's just a great uh, a great game. 
for USC and uh, for the fans here. Yeah, one of the, definitely be one of the best bowl games out there. Two teams that are on fire, 17 and 0 combined. The last uh, 17 games, so pretty crazy. So, yep, look, pretty neat. That's Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. All of our work is up on uscfootball.com, so make sure you check it out. We might do another podcast this week with uh, Gerard doing some recruiting stuff because you guys have already sent in recruiting questions. Uh, we'll try to get to that. We might do a little uh, Facebook Live thing on Thursday, too, at USC. So check out the site. Check out uscfootball.com, the message boards, for all the updates on that. But hope you guys enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.